We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Uh, well, good evening. It is a joy to be here with you. Uh, you can open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going through the miracles uh, of Jesus recorded in the book of Luke. And uh, Mike's gone through a couple, and, and I'm going to get to share with you one uh, this evening. And, and these miracles show that Jesus is able, and he is sufficient, and he has authority on earth. And, um, and it's not just about healing, and it's not just about uh, the miracles he performs, but it shows that he has authority as the Son of God to forgive our sins. And, and so this evening... Uh, just such a humble honor to be here with you, and I just want to encourage you um, to uh, seek Christ with humility and to seek him with a desperation and a fire in your heart, and, and not to let that go out with the distractions of the world. Uh, so let's look together here. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12, begins by saying, While he was in one of the cities... And, and so he was not here on vacation. He was not here enjoying life. He was not here uh, seeking out the pleasures of the world. Uh, but if you look back in Luke chapter 4, verse 43 and 44, we see what he's doing. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So when it says that he's in one of these cities, he's here uh, fulfilling the will of God for his life. He's here submitting himself to the Father um, as the humble, faithful, obedient Son of God. And, um, and so he's not here seeking out fleshly desires. He's you know, turned away from the devil and his temptations, and, and he's here to proclaim the kingdom of God, and he's here to uh, heal people of their sickness of sin and proclaim the kingdom of God in doing that. Um, and, and we need to follow this example. I think so easily in our own lives, uh, we get distracted from the will of God and, and our purpose. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, we are called for a purpose uh, by God. And, and we are called to do good works prepared beforehand for us to do. But in, in my own life, and, and as I look around at the church and Christians around the world, we are so easily distracted by the trinkets of the world and the momentary pleasures and the fleeting things of life. And, and we need to look at Christ's example and how he, um, how he picked up his cross and, and he bore the cross, his, that burden for us. And, and so we need to pick up our cross and follow Christ and, and turn away from the things of this world. And, and it's just the, the devil wants to distract us. And if he can't make you evil, he wants to make you busy. And, and Jesus didn't let that happen. He, he was faithful to the very end, to dying on the cross for our sins and then raising again. And, and that's the example that we need to follow. And, and so that's what he's doing. And as he's following, living on the straight and narrow, walking the walk that we are to walk, uh, he runs into this man with leprosy. Uh, it says, there was a man covered with leprosy. Um, in Luke chapter 4, a, a few weeks ago, um, we, we saw uh, that a man named Naaman in the Old Testament was healed with leprosy. And, and Jesus talks about, uh, he mentions that in Luke chapter 4. Well, here, Jesus encounters a man with leprosy. And, um, 
And this leprosy, it's not necessarily the leprosy we think of. It could be a variety of different skin diseases. Um, but, but either way, this man was an outcast. Um, this leprosy caused him to be an outcast. And we see this in the book of Leviticus. I'm going to uh, turn here to, to read if you want to turn with me. Leviticus chapter 13, uh, 13 and 14 talks about leprosy in, in the law. And, and I just want to look uh, at a couple verses here. Leviticus thirteen forty five says, As the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Uh, now for me, I've had a horrible fear of leprosy ever since I was a child. Uh, because of the movie Ben-Hur, you know, you might be like, why do you have a fear of leprosy today? But, you know, I remember watching Ben-Hur as a child. And if you've seen the movie, there's leprosy in there and lepers, uh, camps for lepers. And I was just horribly terrified of this disease. Um, and, and so I guess if we wanted to experience what leprosy might be like and have to walk around saying unclean, you know, go back to uh, the lockdown during COVID in 2020, walk into a grocery store and just let out a big old cough. And everyone would be like, unclean, unclean, get away from me. Even today, I mean, if I'm in a grocery store and I've got to cough, I am going to do whatever. I, I'm going to choke myself before I go out and cough in public. I mean, just times have changed. Not, probably not like this at all. But in my mind, this helps me understand it. Um, and, and one other illustration. So back in 2017, I, um, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. It's a trail from Georgia to Maine. Uh, it's over 2,000 miles, took me five months to do. And when you are backpacking something like that, you're not going to pack a whole lot. So I wore the same pair of clothes every day. And um, as you can imagine, that doesn't smell too good by the end. And so um, I was almost done with the, the hike, and I was up in Maine. Um, and so on, on trail, there's places called hostels where you can stay for a night uh, get, uh, you know, get your laundry done, get, get a meal, get out of your, the cold, wet wilderness. And so I wanted, I was hiking with a friend I met on trail and we wanted to stay at a hostel. And, um, and so hostels are normally really friendly to hikers. And we go to this guy who is running this hostel and he's really rude to us. And he tells us that he's full and we can't stay there. Um, and we have tents and hammocks, and it's like we could camp outside. He's got tons of room outside, but he's like, you can't stay here. And we're like, okay, well, we'll go uh, stay in town somewhere. And he's like, no, the town's full. You can't stay here. And uh, so he tells us we can't stay in town. And so then we're like, well, well, we'll hitchhike into town. We did a lot of hitchhiking, getting into towns on trail. And he's like, no, no one's going to pick you up. You're not allowed to hitchhike here. And so this man's really rude to us. And, and we felt like an outcast. And, uh, and so finally we, we end up hitchhiking and, and I ended up ripping my shorts. We were, we were miserable, we, but we get into town and all we wanted, we wanted to get out of the wilderness and we wanted just a nice burger or something to eat. And we wanted to be warm. And uh, so we go to this restaurant and we go into the restaurant and the place is empty. There's nobody in there except for the workers. We walk in, there's seating outside, there's seating in the main area, and then there's a back room. And when we walk in, 
uh, the, the people, we say, is there somewhere, like, can we sit wherever? Or is, like, do you have to seat us? And they're like, uh, they look at us, they smell us, which, I mean, I'm sure we smelled awful. But they smelled us, and they're like, uh, you can sit outside or in the back room. And so that was kind of, like, embarrassing. I mean, just, like, telling us we can't sit wherever we want. Like, we smell too bad to be around people. So, and there's nobody even in there. We go to the back room, and they open up all the windows, and then these nice-looking people, nice-smelling people come in, and they sit wherever they want, and they serve them well, and they ignore us over in the corner, smelling horrible. And I felt like an outcast. I felt like I was diseased. I, I was so miserable, so hurt. I, I hated the world. I hated being out in the woods. I didn't want to be with people. I wanted to just crawl in a hole. Um, I wanted someone to show me compassion, and I was desperate for that. Well, this man with leprosy, he was an outcast, and, and this, uh, this led him to be desperate. And so he goes, if you turn, if you're in Luke, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 12, continuing on, uh, he, he's an outcast, and, and he's desperate, and he falls on his face before Jesus. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him. So he was desperate, and, and he was humble. And, and so my question is, where is our humble desperation today? Uh, this, this man was an outcast, and he wanted compassion. He, f- he fell on his faith, face before Jesus, wanting to find love and compassion from Jesus. And, and just when I look around at our, our, our lives, the, the Christians of today, the churches of today, I just see um, a lukewarm Christianity. I see uh, people who, who love Christ, but, but I see people who... I uh, just love this world just as much or more so. And, and I just, I want to see more people who are desperate, more sinners who are just so desperate to find forgiveness and so more Christians who are uh, just so thankful for their forgiveness that they're just so desperate to serve Jesus however they can. Um, and, and so I guess just an illustration or something that really just breaks my heart and, and just an encouragement to see a fire for Christ, uh, this book, why Revival Terries uh, by Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, I heard this story like years ago and, um, and I always was like, I don't know where it is. I tried to find this quote. And finally, when I read this book, I found it. And I just wanted to read you a little bit from this book. Uh, Charlie Pierce, Peace was a criminal. Laws of God or man curbed him not. Finally, the law caught up with him and he was condemned to death. On the fatal morning, in Armley Jail, Leeds, England, he was taken on the death walk. Before him went the prison chaplain, routinely and sleepily reading some Bible verses. The criminal touched the preacher and asked what he was reading. The consolations of religion, was the, the reply. Charlie P. Peace was shocked at the way he professionally read about hell. Could a man be so un, unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human there and yet dry-eyed, Read of a pit that has no bottom into which this fellow must fall. Could this preacher believe the words that there is an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase without a tremor? Is a man human at all who can say with no tears, you will be eternally dying and yet, and yet never know the relief that death brings? All this was too much for Charlie Peace, so he preached. Listen to his On the Eve of Hell sermon. Sir, addressing the preacher. If I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile 
just to save one soul from eternal hell like that. Uh, so when I read that, I mean, that just breaks me. And, and look at my lukewarm heart so often, and, and, just, and it's easy to not be on fire looking for lost souls. There's so many lost people around me. And, and reading that just breaks me, and that's how I want to live. Just so desperate to find more lost souls. Uh, and so, you know, if you're out there and you haven't turned to Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, then, then you should have a desperate fire in your heart to find forgiveness because the Bible says that we are all guilty of our sin. And if you are a follower of Christ, I just want to encourage you to have the, the desperate fire in your heart to find lost souls because you've had such a great forgiveness that you didn't deserve. You're that smelly, rotten, dirty, ugly-looking hiker uh, in Maine that doesn't deserve compassion, that no one wants to love. And Jesus put himself on the cross for you. And so uh, you should offer that to other people. And uh, so going on, um, the man says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, so he has such a bold faith here. He doesn't question Jesus. He doesn't say, are you able to make me clean? He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, and, and that's our cry. That's my cry. I, um, you know, when I was five years old, I, had, I prayed with my mom and I said, Jesus, I'm a filthy sinner. Will you forgive me of my sins? And, and so as, as people, we are sick with sin. And, and we need to say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Um, and, and so essentially, you know, that's what Jesus is here. Um, you know, we're going through the miracles of Luke. We're showing you know, he's healing people who are blind, people who are lame, people who are lepers. He's raising the dead. He's, he shows he has power over storms and the weather. He, he miraculously provides food. You know, they've got just a few loaves and fish, and he provides food for thousands. He does all these miracles, but, but so what? Like, what are these miracles about? And, and if it's just those miracles, then who cares? We just have a little bit better life, and then we die nonetheless. Uh, but no, the, the thing he came to do, those miracles are just, uh, uh, just to point us to the greater thing, which is that he can forgive us of our sin. And, and there's someone in this chapter who has a very similar response to this leper. And, and that's up in verse 8, uh, Simon Peter. So Jesus does a miraculous catch of fish. The disciples, or I guess they weren't his disciples yet, but Peter and uh, James and John, they were fishing, didn't catch any fish. And, and Jesus says, go out and cast your nets again. And, and they're like, you know, we're not going to catch anything, but because you say so, we'll do it. And they have this miraculous giant catch of fish. And it says in verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So that's very similar to how the leper responds. Peter, in humble desperation, falls down at Jesus' feet, and says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He realized that he is sick. He's sick with sin. And, and so he needs forgiveness. And, and so then Peter, James, and John, they, they become disciples of Jesus. And, and it says that they left everything and followed him. And, and Jesus said to them, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And, and so that's us. If, if you've placed your trust in Christ, now you are out there to catch men. You are out there to make disciples of Christ. It's about reproduction. And, and that's why we're called uh, by Christ to, to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Um, and so let's see, what is, what is Jesus' response to this man who says, if you are willing, you can make me clean? 
Uh, is Jesus going to respond like the people I encountered in Maine who are like, no, you are too gross. You have way too much leprosy. You, I, I'm not going to be near you. Uh, is that how he responds? In verse 13, it says, and he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. So Jesus had, uh, had compassion for this man. And, and this is recorded in Matthew, and it's also recorded in Mark chapter 1. And, and in those accounts, it says that Jesus was filled with compassion for this man. And, and so, uh, you know, the, Jesus says that it, it's not the, the well who need a doctor, but the sick. And, and Jesus came into this world as a doctor, a doctor to, to heal our, uh, our sin-sick hearts. And, and he's not going to turn away any uh, who, who come to him. And, and he is fully able and capable. And, and the miracles show his sufficiency, uh, his authority on earth. And, and he's able to heal uh, your sin-sick heart and my sin-sick heart. And, and it's a message that as Christians, we carry this cure for the world and, and this dying world, at the gates of hell, we carry this cure, the gospel, the saving, forgiving, loving, compassionate gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> I want to uh, flip over um, just a, a page to the right, um, like maybe two pages, to Luke chapter 7. This is one of my favorite uh, passages in Scripture of, of just Christ's um, willingness to heal and forgive. In Luke 7, verse 39, uh, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house uh, to dine with him, and, and this very sinful woman from the city enters into the house, and she begins uh, washing Jesus' feet, and, and she's weeping and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And in verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One, owned, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who... He forgave more, and he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this passage. It's one of my favorites in Scripture, and it goes so well with what we're talking about in Luke 5. Uh, you know, I feel so inadequate, so unworthy, so wicked, so sinful, so often. And, and this passage is such a great reminder that uh, it doesn't matter how vile you are. If you will humbly repent to Christ, uh, he will forgive you of your sins. And, and so this, this is one of the passages where I can say I can boldly follow Christ, knowing that my eternity is sealed by the Holy Spirit 
because he, he is able to forgive me of my sins. Um, so turning back over to uh, Luke chapter five and, and continuing on. <clears throat> In verse 14, and he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Uh, so Jesus, you know, he says um, that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And, um, and so, you know, he came, you know, not to break the law, but, but he is what the law is pointing to. He is what the law and the prophets point to, the coming Messiah. Um, you know, in the garden, uh, through sin, death, enter, death and sin entered the world, and Jesus came uh, to die on a cross um, as the, the sacrifice um, to, to pay so that, because someone's got to pay for our sin. And, and so all, all of mankind can pay for it in, in eternity in hell or Jesus could die on the cross and, and all that uh, repent and follow him uh, can be forgiven. And so um, he came to fulfill the law. And, and I want to show uh, from Leviticus 14 uh, just what the law says a little bit um, about, about leprosy. So Jesus says to the man to go um, and, and show himself to the priest just as Moses commanded. And, and so in Leviticus 14, it says the law of cleansing a leper. And I just want to read uh, the first seven verses here. Leviticus 14, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp, Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them in the live bird in the blood of the, of the bird that was slain over the, run, over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the, the live bird go free over the open field. Now, when I read this, I, I think this is incredible. Uh, so this is what, you know, the man probably would have gone to do with the priest, um, and, and so Jesus wanted him to obey the law, but, but I think it's so amazing. So you've got two birds, and one's got to be slain, and one has the blood of the slain one uh, put on it, and it gets to go free. And, and this sounds a lot like a couple different things. One, I thought of uh, Barabbas and Christ. Uh, at the trial, you know, the Jews um, around Passover, they get to let one prisoner go free. And, and so they, they chanted, you know, free Barabbas. And, but, but crucify Christ. And, and so Barabbas was a scapegoat that got to go free and Christ was the one who got to pay, his, his blood paid the, the price. And here you see that, you get one bird who must pay the price, who must be slain, and one bird who gets to go free. And, and that's just like uh, you and me. If, if you've placed your trust in Christ, then you're the bird that gets to go free uh, because you're covered by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of Christ. Um, and, and so it also, so recently my wife and I watched, uh, 
the, the few Chronicles of Narnia movies uh, that are out, which I, I love, you know, those books and, and the movies. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Edmund, you know, betrays Aslan. He betrays his, his uh, siblings, and he goes to the White Witch and just because he wants power, and he's just, you know, kind of prideful, wants to be uh, in, in charge and have authority. And, and so he, he has trying to kind of betrayed his family, and he gets set free. He becomes a prisoner, gets set free, and he's, he's with his family and Aslan in their camp. And the White Witch comes in, and she says that the ancient magic says that because he betrayed, he is mine. He belongs to me, and he's guilty. And, and so Aslan goes in and talks to the White Witch, and, and he negotiates. And, and so then Aslan gets killed on the stone table uh, to, so that Edmund can go free. And, and I see that here as well. That's just a picture of what happens to us, uh, uh, just an illustration of what happens to us. Uh, we're guilty. We belong uh, in the pit of hell. But, but Jesus uh, negotiated our freedom by his life. And, and so if, if you're willing to accept it, if you're willing to believe in him and trust in him, then you can go free. And, and this is a message that we cannot keep to ourselves. We need to share this message with the world. Um, so turning back over to Luke 5. <clears throat> um, it's in 14, you know, he is to go uh, to fulfill the law, but he's also to go as a testimony uh, to the priests. And, and so for you and I, if, if you've been cleansed by Christ, you have a testimony. You have a story to tell. And, and for me, for so long, I did not think I had a great story to tell. And, and I was like, people would say, you know, tell me your testimony. And it's like, I became a Christian when I was five. And, and that was all I thought I had. Um, and as I got older, I realized like my story is continuing on. God continues to work in my life. And, and I love sharing my testimony, the story of how Christ took me. I was dead, but now I'm not. Um, I, I was sick and sinful, but now I'm healed in Christ by his blood. And I love sharing my testimony with people. And, and so we have a testimony and we need to share it with our, with our friends and our family members and our neighbors. And, and so Jesus wanted to send this man um, as a testimony. And, and up, you know, um, in, in verse 10, you know, to Peter, James, and John, Jesus told them, do not fear from now on, you will be catching men. And it's through, through the testimony that Jesus did in their lives and, and through the gospel, um, through, through them getting to be with Jesus, watch him die on the cross, and, and we now get to witness that through Scripture. And, and that's the, the testimony that we get to share with people. Um, and, and so Jesus said to this man not to, uh, he ordered him not to tell anyone. And then in verse 15, it says, but the news about him was spreading uh, even further and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Uh, in Mark chapter one, it tells us that this man, he was told not to tell anyone, but he went and he spread the news everywhere. Um, and, and so because of this, uh, people are just flocking to Jesus. And, um, and so a couple things I want to point out is um, Jesus began to get more and more popular, but that did not distract him or sway him from his mission or his purpose. Jesus, his eyes were fixed on the will of God uh, throughout his whole life. And in, even to the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's, he's on his knees praying, and, and he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not what I will, but what you will, Lord. 
And, and so he, he doesn't care about his own will, but he cares about the will of the Father. And he doesn't let uh, crowds or people or anything distract him from that. Um, and another thing, so uh, all these people are looking for their sicknesses to be healed. And, and so uh, something I want to point out is that, you know, some people were healed of their sickness and then they followed Christ. Others, you know, were healed of their sickness and then they just went and they continued on sinning. And, and I just want to give out an encouragement or a warning. Um, don't be someone who, who just wants the blessings of Christ and then, and then just goes on sinning, goes on living in, in this destructive world, goes on living in Sodom, goes on living in this sick and sinful world. We, uh, we need to look beyond this life and this earth. And, and so what would you rather? Would you rather uh, just the blessings, the healing of Christ today, a pleasant life today? And, or would you rather an eternal inheritance? And, and maybe, you know, you'll get, maybe you'll get both. Maybe you'll have healing in this life and eternity. But, uh, but just remember that this, this life is so short, but eternity, you know, we can't even f- comprehend that. We can't even fathom that. Um, and, and so live for eternity and, and not this life. And, um, and so don't let, don't let anything get in between you and, and your walk with Christ. Don't let anything take you away from the straight and narrow path. When, when I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, uh, like I said, there were, there were hostels, but you know, I always had to go into town to get food. And, and so sometimes you know, it'd be raining and I'm hiking in the rain for day after day. Well, um, well, the towns looked more and more appealing the worse and worse the, the weather on the trail got. Uh, but but my, my goal was to hike the Appalachian Trail. My goal was to walk from Georgia to Maine. And, and the, tra- the, the towns were enticing. You know, the man, free refills and buffets, uh, those sounded so appealing to a starving hiker. And, and so they, they became more and more enticing. Um, and in recently I read the book Pilgrim's Progress and, and it felt a lot like my trail journey. Well, it's a lot like our Christian journey and, and we've got to stay on the straight and narrow and the things of this world are going to be enticing. And, and as the storms of life hit you, it's going, to be, it's going to be hard to stay on the straight and narrow. And, and that's why we need our, the church. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us. We need to stay in the word, stay in communion with God to help keep us on the straight and narrow. But don't let anything uh, take your eyes off Christ. Um, keep, keep your eyes fixed on eternity and, and don't just want the, the healings of this life, but, but desire uh, the healing of your sick heart, your sinful heart, uh, so that you can have eternal inheritance. Um, finally, in, in verse 16, uh, it says that, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And, and so we're just going to finish here in, in this verse. And, um, you know, I talked about how popularity didn't change Jesus' heart. His, his desire was communion with the Father and fulfilling his purpose and will. Um, you know, for me personally, um, my, my dad, back when I was in high school, he, he told me about, I don't know if it was, a, I don't know who it was, a friend or someone went out into a field to pray and, and he got on his knees and he, he was out there to pray by himself and he, he was like, I'm not low enough. I'm not low enough before this great and almighty God. So he bowed his head to the ground and to try and be more humble before God and, uh, and he was like, I'm still just not low enough. I'm, I'm you know, so... Uh, so much of nothing, and God is so great and almighty, I'm not low enough. And so he dug a hole in the ground, and he stuck like his nose and, and his face in the, in the hole in the ground. 
and, and he prayed and he just, you know, talked about how, how lowly he was and how great and almighty God was. And he said, just, God, make me useful for you. And, and my dad told me that. And so I went out and I, I did that. And I think that kind of, so I went out into a field and I think that kind of started it. But in college and after that, I, I love going out into the wilderness, somewhere just a field, sitting on a lake shore, sitting alone by myself in nature to pray. And, and that's what Jesus did. So often it says he would go on a mountain to pray. He would go alone by himself to pray. He, his greatest desire was communion with God uh, so that he could fulfill uh, his, his mission and his purpose that God sent him to, to do. And, and ministry is, is so much of an overflow of our love and devotion and communion with God. And, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm still young, um, and, and so, you know, I haven't experienced so much of life, but, but I have experienced what it's like to have a ministry that's an overflow of my communion with God, and I, and I know what it's like to have a ministry that is uh, an overflow of just busyness and, and a lack of communion with God and one, the, when I'm, my ministry is an overflow of communion with God, it's the greatest joy in my life. And, and when it's just me just going on my own, my own flesh, my own will, my own strength, uh, it's just so empty and so frail and, and horrible. And, um, and I feel like such a hypocrite. And, and so I've always got to try to get back into communion with God. And, and so yeah, that's going to be hard. We have so many distractions today. Taking time to get alone with, with God is, is difficult. And, and as you get family, as you have kids, I, I can only imagine how difficult that could be. I, I'm married and it's, you know, we, we struggle to find the time through the busyness of life. But, but I want to make, you know, family worship, get, devoting time together uh, to, to worship God, to get on our knees together and pray to God um, I want that to be the greatest priority in, in our marriage. And, and even for myself, going away by myself to spend time praying, just walking in nature, just talking out loud to God, pouring out my heart, my struggle, my trials, uh, repenting of my sin, giving him my desires, casting my cares, my anxieties on him. And, um, you know, that's the greatest joy of my life is my time alone with God. And uh, one of my favorite, you know, times is, so my wife and I, we met working at a Christian kids camp in Ohio, um, at Camp Patmos, and it's on an island on Lake Erie, really cool place. Well, the sun sets um, right in front of the camp, the camp faces west, and um, as I was on the leadership team, I would walk the perimeter of the camp just to make sure, like, campers weren't out, and if they were, I'd send them back to their cabin, but I would sit out on the shore at night and just look up at the stars, and, and I would just talk to God almost every night for a, a couple summers. And, and that is just one of the sweetest moments of my life, just the sweetest memories of my life, greatest joys in my life, which is sitting out by myself in nature, having communion with God. And I, it just filled me up so much. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't have done things like that, spent time alone with, with God and my Father in heaven. Um, and, and there was a, a big lighthouse across the way at an, on another island, and I would just look at it and I would picture that that is Christ. And, and in my heart, I would say, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm not going to turn away or turn back because of anything. I, I'm so unworthy. I'm so weak and frail. But Lord, I'm yours and I'm willing to serve you however you would allow me to do so. And, and so that filled me up. Um, and, and, so, and that's what Jesus did when, 
uh, when the Son of God goes away by himself to pray continually, I, I think that's an example we should follow. Um, and so I just have a couple, a couple quotes um, on uh, the topic of prayer. <clears throat> One is from David Brainerd, who was a missionary uh, to Native Americans, I believe in the 1700s, and he said this in his journals, All my concern almost is for, the con- is for the conversion of the heathen, and for that end I long to live. Spent about two hours this morning in reading and prayer by turns, and was in a watchful, tender frame, afraid of everything that might cool my affections and draw away my heart from God. I was in such anguish and pleaded with so much earnestness and importunity that when I rose from my knees, I felt extremely weak and overcome. I had no notion of joy from this world. I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. I I think that's amazing. And when I read that, I'm like, man, that's how I want to be. I want to be like him. And, and when I look around, I don't see too many people like that. Now, maybe it's because they, they get alone and pray like that, but I want to encourage you to be like that, to spend uh, just time on your knees before your heavenly Father. It, it'll be the greatest time you ever spend. Um, and, and so, you know, I think for a lot of us uh, today, we, we see prayer as uh, a checklist we do before we eat. We see prayer as a hobby. We see prayer um, as an unproductive thing to do or just something we don't know how to do. Uh, but for David Brainer here, I see him as, uh, he sees prayer as the war. This is the war. And he wants to win souls for Christ. That's his desire. And the war is him on his knees alone with God. And, and so that's what I want to encourage you to do, to see prayer as the war. And, and so we're to take the gospel of the ends of the earth and, and you're to be a witness for Christ. And you're not going to do that unless uh, unless you're on your knees before your Heavenly Father. And then my final one is from George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller was an evangelist, and, and he had an orphanage where he reached thousands of orphanages, and he, and he taught people, and uh, he just set up, for, uh, set up things for kids. And uh, just something about him that's amazing is he, when early on, before he even set out to do ministry or start orphanages, he said, I'm not going to tell anyone about my needs. And, and he kept this for the rest of his life. And he said, I'm only going to tell my heavenly father my needs. Because the Bible says that he hears and he answers. And so if there is a God, he will be able to answer. And so he, he began just praying. And he would, he would tell God his needs. And, um, and so then the, if you read his book or about him, just God did amazing things. And he was such a man of faith and prayer. And, and so someone was, <clears throat> towards the end of George Mueller's life, um, asking him some questions, and he asked him uh, if, he spent, if George Mueller spent much time on his knees, and this was his answer. <clears throat> Hours every day. <clears throat> but I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, when I lie down, and when I rise. And the answers are always coming. Tens of thousands of times my prayers have been answered. When once I'm persuaded a thing is right, I go on praying for it until the end comes. I never give up. In answer to my prayers, thousands of souls have been saved. I shall meet tens of thousands of them in heaven. The great point is to never give up until the answer comes. I have been praying every day for 52 years for two men, sons of a friend of my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. How can it be otherwise? There is the unchanging promise of Jehovah, and on that I rest. 
The great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. Oh, how good, kind, gracious, and condescending is the one with whom we have to do. He has given me, unworthy as I am, immeasurably above all I have asked or thought. I am only a poor, frail, sinful man. But he has heard my prayers tens of thousands of times and used me as the means of bringing tens of thousands of souls into the way of truth in this and other lands. These unworthy lips have proclaimed salvation to great multitudes, and very many people have believed unto eternal life. Well, um, if your desire is to live faithfully for Christ, to walk on the straight and narrow, to win souls for Christ, uh, we, we can only do that through uh, communion with God. And uh, this evening we are going to be celebrating communion. Uh, and, and so we get to do that because um, of the sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross. Um, and, and so we get to have communion with, with our Father in heaven for eternity and with our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, because Jesus uh, died for us on the cross. In John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for your great love for us. I thank you um, that while we were sick sinners, while we uh, had such a worse sickness than leprosy, uh, that you sent your Son into the world to pay the price that we could not pay. Uh, I thank you for, for our Lord and Savior who died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that you rose him from the dead and that he is now seated in heaven with you. And, and I just pray that we would humbly uh, obey him all the days of our life as we uh, continually fix our eyes on Christ and look to eternity and our future inheritance. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.